Бою лузі червона калина похилилася, чогось наша славна Україна зажурилася. А ми тую червону калину підіймемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей-гей розвеселимо. А ми тую червону калину підіймемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей-гей розвеселимо. Хилися червона калино, маєш білий цвіт. Не журися, славна Україно, маєш вільний рід. А ми тую червону калину підіймемо, а ми нашу славну Україну гей розвеселимо. А ми тую червону калину підіймемо, а ми нашу славну Україну patriotic Ukrainian song that was made popular first uh, about a century ago when Ukraine was fighting pretty much the same battle they're fighting right now. That song was In the field there is a red viburnum and that was performed by the military band of the Air Force of the Armed Forces of Ukraine joined by three choirs from the city of Vinitsia. 
Vitaju vas vsih dorhi radio suhači na radio programu Naš holos radio Krinskoho Korinja na radio stanciji CHLY 101.7 FM u misti Nanaimo. Hovorit Pavlina. Dobri den and welcome to Naš holos Ukrainian Roots Radio coming to you on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. I'm Pavlina. Thank you so much for joining me. On today's program, we'll have an interview with Svetlana Kaminko, who is the co-founder and CEO of Maple Hope Foundation. She'll be telling us about her organization and also about an upcoming event on October 14th that will take place across the province to raise awareness and funds for the wounded in Ukraine. We'll also hear from Dr. Lubomir Lutsyuk, a tenured professor at Canada's Royal Military College in Kingston, Ontario, with documented facts and historical accuracy to shed some light on the current gong show in Ottawa and the spurious claims of World War II Ukrainian war criminals in Canada. So stay tuned for all of that as well, our usual proverb of the week. And great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is Kozak Siromaha, a fairly new singing sensation in Ukraine who is an actual Kozak living an off-grid lifestyle on the banks of the Dnipro that is reminiscent of the Cossacks of old. But now he spends his time, when not recording and entertaining Ukrainian troops, fighting with them on the front. Here he is now with Zasvistala Kozachenka, an old Cossack ballad about a young man who is answering the call to arms and saying goodbye to his sweetheart, telling her not to cry. Не плачь, не журися, краще зазвонила, бо помолиться, краще зазвонила, бо помолиться. Світить місяць над водою, а сонця нема. Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова 
singer by the name of Malyarevsky performing in four-part harmony with himself. And that was uh, Vodohrai, the water fountain, a very beloved song that goes back to the 1970s before he was murdered, actually tortured to death by the KGB simply for being a Ukrainian patriot. His funeral in 1979 saw an enormous turnout that actually uh, was not permitted in Soviet times, but was so large that the authorities decided to just let it go ahead. Again, Malyarevsky with Volodymyr Ivasyuk's Vodohrai. (laughs) 
Svetlana Komenko is co-founder and CEO of Maple Hope Foundation, based in Vancouver. She joins us now by phone to tell us about her organization and about an upcoming event on October 14th that will take place across the province to raise awareness and funds for the delivery of medical equipment to Ukraine for the seriously injured. Svetlana, welcome, Vitayu, and thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. It's a pleasure to be here to share a little bit more about our organization and what we are doing. Yeah, Maple Hope Foundation has been around for quite a while now. So tell us how it started, um, how it evolved, and, and what your current focus is. Yes, Maple Hope Foundation was founded in response to the global activism movement that was born during the Revolution of Dignity in 2015-2014. And um, since that time, we are on the mission to bring relief to the Ukrainian people suffering from the war in Ukraine. And of course, since the full-scale invasion in 2022, in addition to helping in Ukraine, our focus shifted was added to new ones. And we are helping Ukrainians who fled the war and came to Canada. Yeah, that's quite an addition because you had enough just, you know, helping the people there. Now we've got a whole bunch of uh, displaced people here in, in Canada. This hasn't happened since after World War II, really. So, yes, and, yeah. and this is a huge refugee crisis. I know that you cannot call Ukrainians who fled the war refugees uh, Temporary displaced people. Yeah, but really they are refugees. I mean, you can, whatever you call yeah. them, they are, yeah, they are in dire need. I'm sure suffering a lot from post traumatic stress syndrome, you know, constant grief, probably having lost people already. Is there, what, 78% of Ukrainians n- know somebody who has been killed or, or injured in the war? Yes, exactly. And uh, the emotional and, and mental health is a huge problem. Because even if you are in a safe environment, far away from sirens, from rocket shelling, when your loved ones are still there, your friends, your home, or maybe you lost everything uh, altogether, mm-hmm. you, you cannot uh, be successful in your coping strategies here to adapt to a new environment and to live your life uh, fully. Because part of you, your heart is is there with Ukraine sure. and Ukraine is hurting and Ukraine is grieving and Ukraine has funeral every single day across yeah. the country. Yeah. And we just launched a national project in Canada with uh, the main goal to support uh, those Ukrainians who fled the war. Uh, the name of the project is the Healing the Wounds of the War Together. Um, that we are doing thanks to the support of Canada Ukraine Foundation and the Ukrainian Canadian Congress. And we are so happy that we've got this opportunity because we can unite Ukrainians because you can heal when you're part of the community, you can heal more effectively and faster by listening to the stories of others. And we are doing this across country. We have online support group for women, for young people, for high school students. Uh, we are doing Ukrainian community forums offline and helping also with assisting in restarting your professional life or completely maybe 
choose a new professional career in Canada. So sure. there are a lot of work, individual and, and group support. Wow. So the people that are coming to Canada, they're not coming as, as refugees and getting government assistance. They're coming as temporary foreign workers. Is that correct? Yes, they are getting a work permit for three years. And if they are coming with children, the children can go to uh, schools, elementary schools, high schools, and, and get free education. We are very actually grateful that some colleges and universities in response to the crisis are offering domestic tuition to Ukrainians that would like to pursue their post-secondary education. Even the adults that recognize the gaps that they have, not just in English skills, but also professionally, that they can be enrolled in short programs and reach into the job market after, right. after graduating from this program. Well, so they're not just getting refuge, they're actually contributing to the well-being of Canada through, the, through their economic and professional yes. contributions. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So there is something coming up on October 14th, an event that you're coordinating. Yes, thank you for asking. I think because of the war, uh, there will be two significant days in the calendar for Ukrainians. The first one is obviously the Ukrainian Independence Day. Mm -hmm. And the uh, second one would be the Day of Ukrainian Defender. And because there are some recent change in Ukraine is moving to the new calendar, and we are going to celebrate Christmas with the entire world in December and December 24th, 25th, and other important uh, religious holidays. The Ukrainian Defender Day was always on October 14th, and we decided that we would like to launch a new fundraising opportunity, but in a very meaningful way. Because 78% of Ukrainians, according to the recent survey, showed us that 78% uh, of Ukrainians already have someone in their network, their family, who was killed during the war mm -hmm. or who is wounded and trying to recover after the injuries um, related to the war. And the war is not over. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to show our brothers and sisters in Ukraine that we do care. It is also have to raise the children that are already here with respect to those who risking their lives and health and defending Ukraine. So the charity work, the work of honor, it's an event that we are doing for the first time and it will take place in Vancouver. Nanaimo, Kelowna, and Castlegar, where we have our ambassadors and activists. Mm. And this would be our attempt to show our respect, our gratitude to those who are still at the front lines and fighting, to those who are recovering from the heavy wounds and healing, for those who are grieving, and for those who are saving lives and volunteer. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the same time, it's also an opportunity to commemorate the fallen, fallen heroes of Ukraine and the life of civilians, innocent children that were killed during the war yeah. and adults 
And then we are about to uh, receive another help from the government of Canada. It's a life-saving equipment, medical equipment, mm. uh, that we would like to ship to Ukraine to the mobile evacuation unit. And we need to raise money for the similar project in May. I was personally in Ukraine delivering equipment and organizing training program for military doctors, anesthesiologists. And this is a very unique medical equipment that really minimizes the risk of death because heavy wounded defenders can be connected to that life support right away. It works independently, no electricity needed, it generates oxygen. It's a Canadian manufacturing company, Toronto Medical, and we are eternally grateful to the government of Canada and Toronto for their support. Uh, so the government of Canada is, is donating this equipment to Ukraine, but they're not delivering it? No. We are recipients of this donation in Canada, and we are responsible to ship everything to the end user in Ukraine. Okay, so so what um, you know, people are maybe under the impression that Canada is sending all this money to Ukraine, but they're not really. It's not tax dollars. It's people's donations, people in the community who understand the, the necessity of, of supporting these people. Yeah, exactly. And they're fighting, yeah, they're exactly. fighting not just for Ukraine, but actually for, for the rest of the world. I mean, they're, they're fighting to uphold global peace. And I think people in Canada don't, don't recognize that. They think it's a war far away. And, you know, we're opening our doors to help people that are, are fleeing, women and children who are fleeing. But there's, there's a lot more to it than that. Yes, exactly. I, I think Ukrainians risk their lives or they, they're ready to give their lives and many of them already yeah. not with us. Yeah. But they do this, that people in the entire world will have life, right? Because Ukrainians who are not even fighting in Ukraine, there is no life, right? It's really difficult to live in the country at the time of war. Sure. And, uh, and, and so many already came here and, and they're their concern, like everyday concern, they start their day not with the coffee, but checking the the messengers and yeah. making phone calls. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Walk of Honor that's happening on October 14th uh, will be in Vancouver, Nanaimo, Kelowna, and Castlegar. And so this is, anybody can come, right? I mean, this is open to the community to come and support uh, Ukrainian defenders and to meet some of the people that are involved in in the support of refugees coming and in support of the defenders of Ukraine that are actually fighting this war. So, uh, first of all, who is it for and how can people participate? So, the the event is set up on Eventbrite. If you search at the Eventbrite, the Walk of Honor, whoever wants to join can register. The registration fee is $45, which includes a complimentary T-shirt. And you can come with your ticket, uh, registration, and in exchange for the T-shirt. But I do realize that uh, some people, they would like to join, but they don't have the opportunity to pay that registration fee because it's not just covering the cost of T-shirt. The rest is the raise funds that will go towards medical equipment shipment to Ukraine. So we invite everyone, everyone who wants to support Ukraine, who wants to commemorate fallen heroes of Ukraine, who wants to be part of that work of honor, 
that actually pays tribute to those who are not with us and also support those that need that support and mm-hmm. understanding that far away from Ukraine, somebody in Nanaimo or Kelowna or Kasselgar or Vancouver is caring. Yeah, that means a lot, just, just knowing that, that people care. So Walk of Honor at Eventbrite, and then you pick your city, and it's what, a two-kilometer walk? It's up to two kilometers. Okay. Uh, we also ask uh, all participants to bring a personal meaning, personal touch to their participation in the work. Uh, they can think about a person or a couple of people or the whole battalion in support of specific rights, uh, and they can add their name. They are going to work or in memory of whom they're going to work. And those who register, they record their video message. Very simple. I'll, on October 14th, I'm going to participate in the work of honor in memory of or in support of. And I, I share my gratitude for those who are protecting global peace and security. So, so just write out this message, and there will be an opportunity to, at the during the walk to record it. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so, and if you don't know anybody, you can just do, do something general, right? Just, I uh, just support the defenders. Of yeah, yeah. 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 But if yeah. you know somebody, or you know of some, you know somebody who does know somebody, then that's nice to actually put a name to your contribution. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and if you are not in town, but you would like to be part of this uh, initiative, you can simply go to our website, maplehopefoundation.org, and donate and, and write your comments, right? Okay, what, yeah. what is the purpose of your donation? Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I've, um, I've, yeah, I've certainly done that and encourage anybody listening to make a donation, large or small, to Maple Hope Foundation. You can find the maplehopefoundation.org and do attend the, um, Walk of Honor if you can, if you're in Vancouver, Nanaimo, Castlegar, or Kelowna on October 14th. And it's at three o'clock that it starts. It's at three o'clock and on Ivan Bride, there is a meeting place in each city. Okay. And um, you just come and join the walk of honor. Okay, that's wonderful. Well, uh, thank you, Svetlana, for uh, telling us about this. Thank you for the good work that you do and for taking the time to tell us all about it. Um, all the best to you and hope to see you in Nanaimo sometime soon. Thank you so much. Slavo Karini. Slavo. Ви слухаєте наш голос Радіо Українського коріння, котре подається вам на хвилі CHLY 101.7 FM у місті Нанайму. You're listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Субтитры 
Toronto, that was Nastasia Y with her original composition, Bezvas, Without You, which is pretty self-explanatory and explains a lot about the resolve of modern-day Ukrainians to fight as so many of their ancestors did for freedom. We're going to change up the pace a little bit. Uh, more CanCon, uh, moving a little bit west to Edmonton, Alberta. And a group that has been around for a few decades now, they are called Trembita, and here they are with a song that they released uh, last year as a fundraiser for Ukraine. It is a traditional Ukrainian folk song, Oyupoli Dvadubke, In the Field There Are Two Oak Trees. Zibrali se to kuki, oj na 
Next, Professor Lubomir Lutsuk of Canada's Royal Military College in conversation with Jason Smart at the Kiev Post. Dr. Lutsuk, you're a professor at the Royal Military College in Canada. Uh, you've got lots of experience dealing with the issue of Ukraine's history and what has gone on there. But I look at the huge scandal that's happening now in Canada. The Speaker of the House of Commons was forced to step down after, during Zelensky's visit, no less, a former member of the SS Galicia Division, a Ukrainian-Canadian, was given public applause uh, for his service in that division. What do we make of this? And why is it that Canada invited into their country people who they knew to be former SS members, that is, people who had committed war atrocities? Well, look, I think the very first thing you need to understand is that Mr. Hunka, that's his name, was not a member of the SS. He was a member of the Waffen-SS, the armed SS. So this was a military formation under the umbrella of the SS, but it was not that part of the SS that was engaged in perpetrating atrocities against Jews and others in Europe during the Second World War. It was one of many units uh, constituted by non-Germans that the Germans mustered in the final years of the war in order to 
try to stem the Soviet tide. Ukrainians who joined the Divizia Halachina or enrolled in it in uh, the uh, 1943 were put into battle near the Brody in Western Ukraine and the division was essentially eliminated. Um, survivors of it then retreated west, fought in minor engagements in Slovakia and Poland, and ended up interned in Rimini, Italy, where they were screened by the British, Canadian, American, and even Soviet authorities, and no evidence of wartime uh, atrocities on the part of the Divizia were uncovered. Um, so the first thing, please understand, these were not SS men. These were members of the Waffen-SS, and the Galicia division was unique in the sense that it was pledged to fight against the Soviets, but only against the Soviets, never against the Western allies. It had chaplains or padres attached to the unit. It was motivated to defend Halachina against the second Soviet occupation. Remember, between September, late September of 39 and June, July 41, Halachina was under Soviet occupation. And as the Soviets withdrew, and even before that, they had indulged in quite a lot of repression of Ukrainian national movement, as well as of Jews and Poles. I mean, the Katyn massacre, this is when this occurs. So you have um, direct experience of, an, of a Soviet occupation. You're living in Halachina. The Germans are mistreating you. In fact, the German plans for Ukraine were just as bad as the Soviet plans. Um, but in, in extremity, the Germans said, well, maybe we better raise a Galicia division. They wouldn't even call it a Ukrainian division. So then they go out and try to recruit people. They promise them they'll only fight the Soviets. They promise them they'll never fight the Western allies. They give them the equipment and the training Ukrainians feel they need to create the nucleus of an army that might be able to give Ukraine a chance to secure independence in the post-war chaos, just as happened after World War I. So that's the context. Um, when these uh, survivors of the Battle of Brody and the reconstituted division eventually find themselves in Italy, as I say, they are screened by the English, by the British, the Canadians, the Americans, and the Soviets. They're eventually allowed to relocate to the United Kingdom where they're screened yet again. When some of them in 1950 then express an interest in immigrating further, perhaps to join relatives in Canada, the United States, Australia, and so on, um, there is an understandable concern on the part of groups like the Canadian Jewish Congress. It no longer exists, but at the time it did, which said to the government of Canada, wait, you can't let these people in. They're SS men, just what you said. Well, the government said, what? Okay, stop. And then they went back to the High Commissioner of Canada in the United Kingdom, our ambassador, in effect, and said, what's happening here? And Dana Wilgers was his name, looked into it, and he wrote a memorandum that said, look, all of these allegations about the Ukrainian division or the Galicia division being involved in war crimes are nothing but communist propaganda. There's no evidence of any wartime misbehavior on their part. And so they were allowed to immigrate. So Mr. Hunka, the man who was introduced in Parliament the other day, legitimately, legally came to Canada. The government of Canada knew about his wartime service. There was no objection to it. He came here. He lived, as far as I know, a normal life, paid his taxes, was a law-abiding citizen, raised a family with his British wife. Um, and now, at the you know, in his 98th year, his member of parliament, who was also the Speaker of the House, invited him to come to Ottawa to the House of Commons to greet President Zelensky. He did him an honor. Now, the Speaker of the House probably didn't investigate Mr. Hunter's background very carefully. 
may have been better off not inviting him given the possible controversy this would create as it did. And Mr. Rota, the speaker, has paid it, paid the price. He's had to resign as the Speaker of the House. Mr. Junta, however, as far as I know, is innocent of any wrongdoing. No one in all this furor since last Friday has come up with a single shred of evidence to suggest that he did anything wrong in the Second World War. So he's been labeled a Nazi, which he never was, because no Ukrainian could be a Nazi. He's been called a Nazi. He's been you know, subjected to all sorts of public opprobrium by people who've never met him, don't know him, don't know his wartime record, and generally don't know anything about the Divizia Halachina either, just because of this labeling. It's lazy is what all this is. People haven't looked at the vetting, the screen procedures. And what makes it especially galling is that we know the Soviets in the late 70s and into the early 80s began spreading misinformation throughout the United States and in Canada about the alleged presence of thousands of Nazi war criminals in North America. And this was investigated, this campaign, the KGB campaign was called Operation Payback. It was investigated and the Americans said, well, wow, we better do something about this. So they created the Office of Special Investigations in the Department of Justice. And that gave us the Demenuke trial and all that stuff. The Soviets were so happy with the way they'd been able to create tension and discord between the Jewish and Ukrainian diasporas over that war crimes issue that they said, hey, we're going to do that too in Canada. And so they gave us you know, false news stories planted in the Toronto Star and so on to such an extent that the government created the Commission of Inquiry on War Criminals headed by the late Mr. Justice Jules Deschen. But what happened in Canada was very important because after investigating all these stories of thousands of Nazi war criminals hiding in Canada and so on, Mr. Deschen, first of all, concluded that this would this whole story was grossly exaggerated, that's his, his phrase, by a factor of no less than 400%. And specifically referring to the divisi said, there's no evidence of war crimes being committed on the part of the Divisia, so you can't indict the unit as a whole. Secondly, mere membership in the Divisia does not constitute grounds for any kind of prosecution. Three, the government knew who these people were when they came here, started arriving in 51 and so on, and so you can't say that these men misrepresented who they were when they sought to relocate and live in Canada. So Duchenne basically exonerated the Divisia. Security cleaning, uh, security screening in northeastern Italy at Rimini in the POW camps, a second vetting by the High Commissioner of Canada in London, the Duchenne Commission more recently in 85 to 87, I was part of that. They all clear the divisia. There's been no evidence ever presented of any wrongdoing by that unit. Now, I understand how Canadians of Jewish faith or heritage would be concerned in 1950. I mean, you know, who are these people? I understand how anyone would not want to have a Nazi living next door. But do the math. There are very few people alive from that period. This man himself is 98. There might be a handful of such people left. Doesn't mean that they should escape justice, but they should only be brought to justice if there is evidence of wrongdoing on that individual's part. And here's the critical thing, Jason. Way back in 1984, and I was part of this, I, I helped draft the position paper for the Ukrainian-Canadian community. We said the following. We said, if there is evidence that any individual living in Canada, regardless of that person's ethnicity, nationality, gender, political views, religious group, 
whatever, any individual, if there's credible evidence that that person participated in a war crime, a crime against humanity, that evidence should be tabled in front of the proper authorities. They will review it. And if they feel it's sufficient, they will initiate a prosecution, which should be done in a Canadian criminal court of law. If there's evidence, go ahead and judge that person and punish them accordingly, regardless of who they are, when they arrive, post-war, recently, whatever. We don't want war criminals of any kind in Canada. Mm -hmm. That was the position then. It's still the position today. So for those people who are raising this issue and running around and yelling and resigning and apologizing all that, wait a minute. Where's the evidence here? Where is the evidence that this man did something wrong? Where is the evidence that, you know, because they try to say, well, it was the division, the Gleason division did things wrong. And they rely on these sort of, you know, rumors and Soviet era propaganda that the Russian Federation has regurgitated. And they just spew it all back out because none of them have ever read a book. None of them seem to have wanted to read the Duchenne Commission's results. There's only been in this last couple of days, and unfortunately, they've been rather hectic days responding to all this junk. But there have only been about two reporters that have actually said, well, wait a minute, something's not right with this story. And who have begun to dig and say, you know, maybe there is there's more to it than than originally meets the eye. Now, again, I'm going to be very honest. I don't I don't know Mr. Hunk. I've never met him. I've never met Mr. Rhoda, the former Speaker of the House of Commons. I've got no dog in this fight. No one in my family was in the Divisia. But that said, you've got to tell the truth. You've got to tell the truth about what happened in the Second World War. You've got to tell the truth about. Um, you know, what the evidence is, and you've got to also think about who benefits, right? That's always one of these great questions when you, you get these stories. Who's actually getting value out of this? Well, obviously not Mr. Rota. He's resigned from a prestigious position. Obviously not those politicians who had to rise in the House of Commons and, and express contrition to our fellow Jewish Canadians for putting someone in that position where they were applauded, even though there might be some doubts about what they did in the war and, and so on. But Jews and Ukrainians are now, there's some friction. It's already happening, right? There's been international media coverage of this from the BBC to the Washington Post to the Globe and Mail. There have been editorials. There have been articles, some of them very emotional and, frankly, wacky. Mm -hmm. Conspiracy theorists have come out of the woodwork with their expert opinions on all of this. And some of them are real strange people, people who, for example, say that the revolution of dignity was, you know, stoked by Ukrainian nationalists who murdered their own people in order to facilitate a coup against the government that, you know, you've heard that story in Ukraine, too. It wasn't the, the people rising up against the corrupt government. It was, you know, Ukrainian neo-fascists killing other Ukrainians in the Maidan in order to provoke a, a coup. You know, these are the kinds of people who are being go, go, you know, sought out for expert opinion. And others who've never looked at the archives, have never met veterans of the division, were not involved in the Duchenne Commission, are also giving their comment. And, you know, I've studied the British archives. I knew Bogdan Panchuk very well. He was one of the Ukrainian Canadians in uniform who helped rescue the uh, the Divida, who visited them in Rimini. I, I've met many veterans. I was part of the Duchenne Commission. I, 
I, I've spent some time studying this. And of course, thanks to the document that Dr. Bertelson found, Operation Payback, what we always suspected way back then, that it was the Soviets behind all of this, has been proven. So we now know it. And they use the Vizi Halachina as one of their uh, most prized um, nuggets in terms of you know, stoking this kind of war criminals hiding in North America story because, you know, they were members of the Waffen SS division and that instantly gives people uh, an impression of concentration camp guards and the Holocaust and so on. Um, so who benefits from this distraction? The Russian Federation. What does it distract from? The genocidal war that the KGB men and the Kremlin, Vladimir Putin and his Confederates are waging this very day against Ukraine and Ukrainians. It's unfortunate. It's gone on way too long. I certainly hope it ends soon. Uh, but the fact is, the beneficiaries of this have been Moscow. Professor, that's fascinating. Thank you so much for your response. My pleasure. Thank you for having me again.
Ukrainian folk song called Kalabai, uh, Near Duel, performed by the beloved Ukrainian-Canadian duo Mickey and Bunny from Winnipeg and uh, many, many years ago. In their heyday, they sold a whole lot of records back in the 1960s and 70s. Again, Mickey and Bunny with Kalabai. Before them, Sluhai from Winnipeg, another group that's been around uh, quite a while and uh, second or third generation of, of men. I was going to say young men, but they're not so young anymore. I'm sure raising another generation, perhaps fourth, of uh, of Ukrainian and Canadian musicians in Winnipeg. Again, that was Sluhai with the iconic song everyone knows, loves, and claims as their own, Who Stole the Kishka? Nahadu yu vislukhite radio programu nash holos radio nasho hokorinya na radio stan si chly stodeni simfm umistin nanaimo. Nijal, me všeskin čela našu prožamu, že často domov vyskazati do pobačenia. Ale pritem, cima slovami mudrostia. Falševa ljudena nikola ne soromacija i ljudjam uvići ne devicija. And our proverb of the week translates as, A false person is never ashamed to look honest people in the face. And with that, we've come to the end of another edition of Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. In between broadcasts, please stay in touch with us via our Facebook page. And for transcripts, audio, uh, audio archives, and a link to our podcast, please visit our website, www.nashholos.com. You can also find Nash Holos on your favorite podcast app. I'm Pavlina. On behalf of Oksana, myself, and all of us here at CHLY 101.7 FM, thanks for listening.
Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you.